This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company I've used personally for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 wants to reach out to you, the audience, and offer you a discount, which I will get to in a moment. As with each episode, I want to highlight one of their products. And I think an area that really needs to be discussed is uniforms. So most of us listening to this podcast are in some sort of uniform profession. And 5.11 were founded on clothing the tactical athletes. So they went to the member of military, the police officer, the firefighter, the EMT, and asked them what do they need to function at the highest level when it comes to their clothing. So their uniforms are reverse engineered from the user back to the manufacturer. Another observation I've made in several departments I've worked at is that we end up with lockers full of worn, faded uniforms. And what I found with the 511 uniform that I wore in California was that wasn't the case. They lasted several years and some of the job shirts and jackets lasted way longer than that. So longevity and cost efficiency is also another element to this as well. Yet another layer to this is the female tactical athlete. So they realized that men and women, surprise, surprise, are not shaped the same way. So they started designing uniforms accordingly to fit the female tactical athlete and allow her to be able to move efficiently. So, so many reasons why I advocate this company. On top of all their other great products, the Norris sneaker, which I think is a great alternative to a station boot, the AMP pack or missions backpack, and then their civilian clothes as well, their shorts, their jeans, so, so comfortable, so user-friendly as well. So, 5.11 are offering you a discount of 15% off all of your purchases. So, use the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 511tactical.com. That's 511tactical.com. And to hear even more about 511, their mission, their products, and their genesis, listen to my interview with their CEO and co-founder, Francisco Morales, on episode 338 of this podcast. This episode is brought to you by GovX. And as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself. And GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital setting doctors and nurses, you qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that, GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX gives back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to GovX.com, G-O-V-X.com, register for your free membership and save every single time you purchase. Welcome to episode 370 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on the show the Juice Master, Jason Vale. Now, Jason reversed his own ill health and obesity using juicing, and then went on to write a host of books, create a documentary, an app, and even resorts so that people can also learn about the same experience. My wife and I even did one of his three-day juice resets and were amazed how well it worked. So I am speaking from experience in this conversation as well. So we discuss a host of topics from his own childhood trauma to owning your own history, the roots of addiction, how he started smoking, 
the amazing disease reversal he's seen through many of the people that have come through his resorts and so much more. Before we get to that interview, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast and make it more visible for people looking for a project like this. And this is a free library for you, the audience, whether individually, whether organizationally. So all I ask in return is that you share these incredible men and women's episodes so I can get their stories to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Jason Vale. Enjoy. Well, Jason, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Show podcast today. Thank you, James. Really appreciate being on. And uh, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? At the time of recording this, I'm in Spain, uh, but I spend most of my time between Spain, Portugal, and England at the moment, well, UK at the moment. Fantastic. Well, obviously, we're going to get into the why you're in Spain a little bit later, but um, where were you born? And then tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Yeah, well, that's easy. Um, <laughs> no parents, plural, and no siblings. So that's fairly easy to uh, retort. So no brothers, no sisters, no father, um, just me and my mom, born in London. Um, it's really, it's, it's fun because it's almost like, where do you start when you start talking about this stuff? But, um, you know, brought up in a place called Streatham, uh, southeast London, um, seven years, shared a house with my mom's sister, my auntie, and therefore my cousin, my auntie's daughter, uh, for seven years. Um, but then something went very wrong in the sense that you wouldn't imagine your own family member doing this, but essentially um, the house was sold and uh, the sister ran off with all the money. And genuine story, we were on the streets. This isn't a violin story in any way, shape or form. We all have our stories and challenges, but we were genuinely living on the streets in, in London, me and my mother. And the local authorities said that they would um, happily look after me, providing um, that they remove me from her in other words i would have to go into care um which uh, wasn't exactly fair um so uh there was a a distant relative in in halifax north of england um that uh kindly i mean incredibly kindly i didn't realize just how much of a magnanimous incredible woman um and her husband um auntie Elder and uncle george from booth down in halifax sorry if you're listening from america and wonders why i'm doing the accent um but anyway that's uh, northern accent lad and they took care of me for about a year. My mom was coming up and down, and eventually we, she found somewhere to live. It was actually a squat, actually. Um, anyway, long involved story, and we ended up in Peckham, southeast London. So that's that's kind of like the the, the, the really shortened down version, uh, and and that's how it was kind of growing up. I and mean, we also moved to Africa at one point, me and my mum, because uh, she wanted to try and get a better life. So we moved to Togo land near Nigeria. I went to a school out there for a little while, but that all went wrong. Ended up living in a mud hut with an armed guard at the end. It was all crazy. I mean, the whole, look, every, everything, everything I've done is crazy. And what led me to health really was what happened to my mom early on, I would say. And that's, you know, at the age of, I think I was 15 or 14, my mother went into hospital with, the, uh, with a cyst the size of an orange on one of her ovaries. And uh, they detected it and said, we need to get rid of it. So... She went in for this operation, and unfortunately, they had a bad day at the office, James. They took out the wrong ovary, and uh, she was now left, obviously, with only one ovary with 
their sister size of an orange on it. Now she was in bed for a couple of years. I ended up leaving school with no education and ended up working ironically in a butcher shop uh, just to try and bring in some money. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was, that was the beginning. So no university, no formal education, um, no parents, plural, and no siblings and, uh, not a house for a little while as well. So that was a great start. Yeah. You'd be blown away how many people have rough upbringing stories. I mean, as a facade that everyone else is doing well and everyone else is living the Disney life, but so many people on this, on the show have, have come, you know, through homelessness, through addiction, through whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the misun, most misunderstood elements of society is how many people have, you know, stories of trauma and pain in their background. They do. And I think that trauma and pain, but I don't have trauma. But I mean, I, I want to put this all in perspective here. I, I, I would be wrong to say that. I would say that my upbringing involved trauma and pain. My mother was an incredible teacher. She was almost the most prolific magic maker. She was a natural born magic maker, I called her. Um, she was all about gratitude. I mean, all everything that we had uh, was all about gratitude. We, we because we we should be, and she was quite right. Grateful for anything we have. Never look at what you don't have. She said that is. She said you're looking at the top four percent. She said if you if you really want to look at if you're going to do that, then look around the world. She said, and then you'll have some genuine perspective. So when you say, oh, we have nothing, she goes, really? Do you? <laughs> and, you know, you start looking into it. You think, well, actually, that's a load of nonsense. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, so I, I also had the, I was, I'm as corny as this is, I also had the love of my mother. My mother was my best friend. I was blessed beyond belief. If I had a choice between uh, Oxford education, for argument's sake, you know, private education, Harvard education, uh, and, a, and an incredibly wealthy family, and a huge house growing up, and a basketball court in, and a football court in the in the garden. Um, but actually, I, I I had just normal parents that kind of was out at work all the time, didn't really show a lot of love and affection, or having no money whatsoever, and having my mom. I'd pick the latter every day of the week because. One one was true richness, and the other one is a is a facade, and and so, and so my heart goes out to anybody who when when people talk about rough upbringings, to me the only type of rough upbringing is if if you really had a some horrible guiding parents or not real parents, then then I get it, then I understand it. But if you're just going to talk to me about oh, I didn't have money growing up, or and I hear people going, oh, and, you know, even some of the older generations say, well, we grew up, we didn't have you know, we didn't have any central heating. Well, no one did. I mean, nobody did. You can't just say, I didn't know. You know, you go to about 200 years, nobody had hot water coming out of a tap. That was nobody, including kings and queens. So, I mean, you can always have a story to say, you know, we haven't got this, we haven't got that. But I think the most important uh, mentor that you can ever have, and no matter where they come from, mine, I was lucky, mine was my mother, but it can come from any guys. It can come from somebody you've read a book from. It can come anywhere. But these are the most important aspects, I think, of growing up. So I didn't come through, I mean, hardship. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if your life doesn't pan out, I think it's my theory is that you can always go back and go, well, that's the reason why I didn't, because this is what happened to me. Well, everybody's got anything to happen to them. It's not as cliche as it is. Not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens to you that ultimately makes the difference. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. And I think you can view that, you know, these elements as trauma, and some, you know, have true trauma where they were abused and all kinds of things. But, um, you know, the gratitude, I think, is the, the enemy of anxiety and depression. It really is. Well, if you have it, 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 it is. I mean, at any given point, we can feel grateful about a million things. And I have to stop myself and do it too. I'm human like everybody else. We all strive for more. That is a human uh, trait and, and it's not a bad one. Um, however, at the same time, we, we, the, the old cliche of stop and smell the roses is something that people, including myself, often find hard to do. And we're always on the next thing before the, even the first things even 
been fully appreciated. And, you know, the little things that we have um, should fulfill us. Uh, and I always have this, I, I made up this technique many years ago called Just Landed. It was with a, uh, somebody who I was, I was trying to tap into their gratitude and they said they couldn't feel grateful for anything. And, uh, and so we went through his Just Landed. I said, imagine you just landed. I said, and you literally are walking into your house and you know somebody's given you this and all of a sudden you go, all of a sudden this is my house. Oh, I didn't realize, oh, I've got a roof over my head. Oh, that's your fridge by the fridge. What's that do? It keeps food in there. Oh, there's a shop around the corner that you haven't got to walk 10 miles to. You can just go around there and buy pretty much whatever you want within reason. I know finances play a part and they did for me growing up, but I mean, compared to what most people in the world have. And then you start looking around at the people in, the, in, in your world that love you. You start looking at this and you suddenly go, actually, I'm wealthier than I ever imagined. And if we all stopped and did that a little bit, and I hate saying this to anybody listening as well because it teaches us to suck eggs, but the point is, is that gratitude, I would say, is, is uh, well, gratitude and purpose. You need, you need two things. And, and, and I would say they transcend nutrition and exercise, which we no doubt come on to at some point in this podcast. But, um, but I think they transcend. You need purpose and you need gratitude. And I, I believe they generate chemicals within your brain, within your body that only broccoli can dream of. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, your, your desire to eat well, your desire to exercise comes from within as well. So if you don't have that, you're never going to be successful. Well, I call it three laws. The three laws are nutrition, exercise, and purpose. And unless they are all equally balanced, the point is you won't want to get up at six in the morning to have a purpose if you're significantly overweight or ill. Um, so therefore, they're all intrinsically linked. So therefore, and if you feel hungover, whether it's alcohol hangover or food hungover most of the time, so you have a muzzy head feeling and you're barely getting through the day, then obviously you're not going to feel sharp. You're not going to feel on fire. So exactly how much of your purpose can ever be truly met? So all of them need to be uh, paid attention to in equal measures. Equally, you can't just focus on nutrition and exercise and, you know, how you look, apparently. You know. um, because if you just did that and you have no purpose, then then you have no life. And without purpose, you have no life either. So so there's, there's a balance. It's the three laws. Tap into each one of them equally um, every single day. And it can be incredibly transformative. Beautiful. Well, speaking of exercise and nutrition, then, so obviously, you know, you were bouncing around geographically as a young man. What did your nutrition and your overall health look like in the, the kind of high school years? Well, it was crap. There wasn't any. I mean, the point is, when you say, what did it look like? I mean, there wasn't any nutrition. It wasn't even talked about. They wouldn't understand the word nutrition. It was just, we had food, we put it in our mouth. We had snacks, put it in our mouth. We had, you know, chocolate, burgers. Wimpy back in the day in the UK, McDonald's hadn't even existed at that point. Um, early doors, uh, then McDonald's came into town. Um, listen, I would eat anything provided it wasn't green um, or was uh, from nature. Um, and I ate a lot of it. I also was a heavy smoker, um, really. I mean, I smoked 40, 60 cigarettes uh, every single day. I was also smoking other stuff because I was from Peckham, southeast London. I also took other stuff as well because, again, <laughs> Peckham, South that East was London, green there wasn't it <laughs> and North Peckham State it was, well, it was, well it was green if you can get hold of skunk yeah that was, <laughs> and that, that was the real powerful stuff but normally it was black it was just some hash but yes I'm uh, getting into the technicalities of dope um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but of course that was a vicious circle you get stoned and you get the munchies you'll eat anything so I mean that was the whole that was a knock-on effect as well. Uh, I was a heavy drinker. I used to drink special brew and tenant super. For those that don't know, just look it up. Back in the day, there was like selling fire to alcohol um, and Thunderbird. Uh, I lived in a squat as well. You know, in my you know seventeen, eighteen, left left home as well, and 
And it was just, it was literally, it was hard to explain. It's hard to explain now because I look at my life now um, and look at my life then. It seems like two completely different humans. I mean, genuinely two completely different humans. I don't even know. I, I, can't, I can't, I almost, I almost can't recognize the, the, the other person. I still recognize they were still the same person, but they, they did all these things that didn't seem logical or very intelligent. But then addiction transcends logic and intelligence, always will. And that is the challenge with addiction, which is why I'm not part of the state, the obvious brigade. I hate them. Um, they're not doing any wrong that they know. But when they say to a smoker, oh, smoking could kill you and it costs you a fortune, it's like telling somebody in quicksand that they're in quicksand. What do you think the person in quicksand doesn't know? They're more aware of it than you. They're in the frigging quicksand. And so when you tell somebody with any addiction or somebody who's overweight um, that if they ate more fruits and vegetables and did more exercise, they'd be slimmer. I mean, if I was overweight, I'd want to punch you in the face because, of course, they know this. Um, it's addiction. It's a horrible thing. And it transcends everything else. And there's not a significantly overweight person every night, I guarantee you, or at least once a week where it's on a Sunday night, that every Monday they will. And they're going to do it this time. They're going to transform their world. And they can be fully, highly intelligent, highly logical. And they wake up the next morning and they'll use all their willpower and all their might to try and do it. And then come four o'clock, five o'clock, they literally, they start binging on something or they might last two or three days. And it's not a lack of willpower. Um, in fact, sometimes it's the complete opposite. What it is, is that they, there's, a, there's an invisible prison going on. It's called addiction, transcends, like I said, intelligence and logic, which is why trying to apply those two things to it cannot work. Um, and it can be very easy to, to jump through, but all of my books, including the film that I made, have all psychology attached to it because without that level of psychology attached to it, then all you're doing is you're just following another diet. And if you're following another diet and you've got diet mentality, it's not going to help you. So there's a, big, there's a bigger picture here, James, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, and I agree completely. I had uh, Johan Hari on who uh, wrote um, Chasing the Scream and um, I always forget the name of the second book. I don't know <laughs> if anyway. <clears throat> um, I don't even know the person, so I will look into it. He, he's incredible. You will love it. But I mean, he talks about that. He talks about addiction and food and addiction and obesity. And, you know, that's something that I see in the US. You know, we're one of the most affluent countries on the planet when it looks at, you know, monetary value. But we are the most obese on the planet too. So, you know, there's, there's definitely voids that are being filled, whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, you know, social media, porn, food, whatever it is. But there's, there's, you know, a, a, an item or, or, or a thing is being used to fill a void because there isn't that gratitude. There isn't that, that, that peace within that's well, allowing so them to chase the healthy well, element. Well, I kind of think slightly different than that, James. Actually, I agree with that to a point, And that's where the usual, that is where the, where the usual logic starts to apply. You know, obviously, if they're doing that, then we've got to look at why you're doing it, right? Um, and, of course, most, the reason why I smoke cigarettes, for argument's sake, 40, 60 cigarettes a day, uh, was to fill a void, correct? What void was I filling? The void simply created by the previous cigarette. Now, you can overanalyze that as much as you like, but that's a fact. That's all it comes down to. There was no more, no less. I could overanalyze it. I could sell self-sabotaging. I could come. I could go and see a billion different psychologists, and they would all come up with all different reasons. Well, no wonder your mom was, you know, had a sister size of a, a, an orange on her ovary, and she was in bed. And oh, you, oh, you lived in Africa. Oh, oh you got taken out the, the your normal home. No wonder you you were trying to fill a void. Absolute nonsense. None of that had anything to do with it. The reason why I started smoking, and this is why I want a, a paradigm shift in addiction. Genuinely, James, I, want, I need a paradigm shift because. The reason why I started smoking was because John Travolta was smoking in the film Grease, right? The bottom line is this, is that when we, when we, you know, I, I, I didn't come home from school and say, I've had a bad day, mom, I need a cigarette, right? That's not why I started smoking. 
right? I didn't say, oh my God, I'm stressed, I need a cigarette. I did That never happened until after I was already smoking cigarettes. The point is, is that, cigarette, is that addiction, anything that creates a void in itself, heroin creates a void, crack cocaine creates a void, white fine sugar creates a void, and we spend our entire lives trying to fill the void that it created with the very thing that created it. But it gives the illusion that it's doing the opposite of what it's doing. So if I was to wear ski boots and then I took them off, I would gain pleasure from that. I would concentrate more because of that. But the pleasure would be immense the longer I have the ski boots on for. However, putting on ski boots or taking off ski boots in itself isn't, isn't a genuine pleasure. All you're trying to do is get to the position you were in before you put the ski boots on. You're trying to get into the same position that a non-ski boot wearer is already in. So as, as well as your other stress, you're now a ski boot wearer at the same time. And this is all addiction is. And it's so simplistic when broken down. So, you know, a smoker is only smoking a cigarette to feel like a non-smoker already feels. That's it. They, they can say anything else because that's because they can't rationalize it. But that's the only reason why you're smoking a cigarette. Because people say, well, I smoke because I'm stressed. Well, you're on a beach. Oh, well, I don't know then. Well, they shut up then. <laughs> the, reason why you're smoking, the reason why you're smoking a cigarette because people say, oh, I'm having a drink to, because, it, because I got the pay rise. Oh, I'm having a drink because I didn't get the pay rise. Well, make up your mind. Why are you having a drink? But the point is, is that any form of addiction, it, it, there's a void that's been created by the very substance itself first. Now, that doesn't mean that's not exacerbated the very second that life in itself throws more things at you, more hurdles at you, and all of a sudden you start having winter days. So if you get hit hard by life, then you will turn to what you already feel, what you already have been deluded into thinking helps to fill voids in general. So it's hard to explain, but if, if, you're, if, you, if you've got a depression void, not depression, or, or feeling down void, depression's a big thing, but let's just say feeling down void. Plus you're also withdrawing from nicotine at the same time, which is a very similar feeling, and then you have a cigarette where the overall void then gets decreased. Does that make sense, James? Oh, completely. So the overall void gets decreased, given the illusion that you have somehow helped a genuine feeling of feeling down or depression. Well, all you've done, you haven't touched the actual feeling, all you've done is lessened it from where you were, but you were only further down than a non-smoker because you smoke. And and that's the that's the point. It's like it's not. I wasn't trying to fill a void at eight. I was I was just well. I suppose so. I was trying to fit in. But I mean, everybody does. I mean, so you try and fit in. So your your peer group now becomes the most important person to you uh, that you look up to isn't your parents anymore. In my case, my mother. It became the friends I was hanging around with. Oh, you know, what, and what is the leader of those friends doing? Wow, they're having a cigarette. Wow, so is John Travolta. Wow. So I'll have a cigarette. And then it took you, it, listen, anybody who smoked listening to this will know it takes you a while to learn to become a smoker. Weak will people can't become smokers. They go, oh, I can't do it. And that's it. End of. Strong will people will persevere and make sure they achieve anything, including becoming a smoker. And so what happens is you end up becoming this smoker and you don't have any adverse reactions anymore. In fact, you have positive reactions, but they're not positive in the same way that taking off ski boots appears positive that you're just ending a load that having the ski boots on created in the first place. I mean, I, look, I mean I, I've talked about addiction for years and years and years, and in all my books I allude to this in a much better way than on a podcast. But it's, it, these, this is the difference between somebody going, why, why do you do this? Let's be in therapy for, for you know, 10 weeks and really get to the root of it, when the root of it is just the, the actual substance itself. Now, I'm not saying other elements don't play some parts, and we can touch on those, but Really, let's start looking at what created the void first. In the same way, look at food. People say, I eat as a response to emotion, James. And I say, no, you don't. And they get mad with me. And they go, yes, I do. And I go, no, you eat certain things as a response to emotion. 
Nobody has, I've never met anybody who goes, I'm really pissed off, I've had a bad day, I need a grape. Not one single human I've ever heard say that. You know, I've had a down day, I need an apple. And why isn't there things like Apple Anonymous or Banana Anonymous? If it's down to the personality of the person, then surely everything's addictive. But there isn't. It's the substance has to play a part. And it plays a bigger part than, than people think. And they do themselves a disservice by picking on themselves rather than the substance itself. There's a, there's a balance of the two, but I don't think it's anywhere near the ratio that most addiction psychologists or therapists uh, think it is. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful perspective, and thank you so much. And I can I can testify just currently, like I'm three weeks into not drinking, and you know, there's no question that you know the hangover, well, not even the hangover. I didn't drink a lot; I just drank very frequently. But that fogginess, you know, then requires more coffee. Then you're kind of high strung, and then it leads to that evening wanting to unwind again. So there is undoubtedly an element of what you're talking about in I think a lot of us. And of course, you know, there, especially in my population, where you have a huge amount of trauma and then you add some you know some other childhood trauma there is i think an element of escapism maybe in in the alcohol and some of the other use uh, as well but like so many things i have i talk about in this podcast you've got to look at both sides and and cigarettes are a perfect example i've said this myself it's the most selfish drug out there because it, it almost gives you nothing it doesn't take you away it doesn't get you high it doesn't you know give you a buzz it just like you said once once you're hooked you're hooked and then you're just in this vicious circle what is the most useless drug uh, nicotine like using because it, it, it doesn't doesn't do anything i mean that's the, that's the point all it does is is end the low that uh, that it created so it's a you know like i said it is of all the drugs on earth um other drugs obviously can be argued but you know when it would come to addiction we talk about gamblers anonymous which there is there's no substance involved this will tell you just how important psychology plays a part because they've done studies to show that a gambler coming off of gambling essentially withdrawing from gambling they will suffer the same physical withdrawal. This is, it's such an interesting distinction. Same physical withdrawal as somebody coming off of something like heavy use alcohol or, or heroin addiction um, to some extent. And you go, well, how come they're doing that? Because most of that, the, the physical uh, symptom, if you will, is fear. The fear that you cannot enjoy or cope with your life without what you perceive to be your frame crutch or pleasure. And that's what it amounts to. Now, your community is very different. So you, we are talking about something. I'm talking about the lay people most of the time here, James. Whereas in in the community that, that, that you talk about most of the time, clearly there is that thing. You come back from somewhere, you, you there is that trauma. There's that immediate trauma that happens almost in an instant. And I'm not saying that that doesn't often and at times go straight away, and you just start, you know, drinking again if you stopped, or you start smoking again, or whatever the case is. But I would still argue a little bit that a lot of the time, that unless you've already done it, unless you already know it very few will then turn to something they haven't already done. So they don't go onto heroin. Very few. You know, and that's the thing. They will go to a crutch that they already believe has a benefit in some way of escapism or pleasure or something. And that was already conditioned early on when they didn't have a trauma and they were doing it because they wanted to be like someone else. So it's all intrinsically linked again. Absolutely. Well, two things. Firstly, that that second book I couldn't remember the name of was Lost Connections. So Johan Hari's books are Chasing the Scream and Lost Connections, both incredible books. I I know coming just from this conversation, you're going to really enjoy those. Um, And then the other thing is John Travolta was on the show, so I'll let him know that he was responsible for your smoking as well. Hang on a second, John Travolta was on your podcast. Yes, yeah, he actually lives in Ocala, in the same city I live in. So I was able to find a mutual friend, and we did a, a recording face to face. Actually, but he was in uh, Ladder Forty Nine, which is one of the best firefighter movies that they've made. There's some really bad ones yes. out there. So, no, I've seen it. Seen yeah, it was sensational. 
Um, I am a, I'm, look, I, I don't often talk about fans. Fans is, is short for fanatic, obviously, so it's got to be careful. Um, but obviously, I watched John Travolta when I was eight. Um, I used to queue around the cinema for the film Grease, um, Staying Alive was before that. And uh, and literally just admired everything he's done ever since. I think, guys, um, so I'm going to check out your episode with John Travolta um, on the podcast because uh, I think he's an extraordinary human being. Uh, yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and when he was in um, the film, not staying alive, it was a dancing, dance-based film. I mean, he got ripped for that film. I'd love to know what he, what was his regime to do that because he, he is a dance film with some kind of what the name of the film is, but unbelievable, unbelievable to get into into shape for for that film. And I, I sometimes I use that analogy actually, uh, James, to people that want to transform their bodies or their lives or whatever. Is imagine you have a film part. You know, you, you've seen it happen before. You know, you've got, you got Russell Crowe for Gladiator. You know, he doesn't exactly look like Gladiator now. And nor should he. I'm not saying he should. I mean, this is a, this isn't, uh, it's just that if you want to get there once or whatever and you have a film role, um, then, you know, find a regime that these people do and see if you can see if you can follow it to some extent. You know, it's quite it's quite good because ultimately it's corny as we're all in a film role, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? But it's um it's one of those absolutely well let's speak about your journey then so kind of was there any kind of pivotal moment and then walk me through to how you found juicing um how i I found you this simple story so it doesn't take up uh too much of the podcast um is i i knew that fruits and vegetables um were good for you obviously you have to be on planet nothing to to not realize that i knew they were good for me Um, but i didn't like them I just hated them. I just couldn't eat broccoli. I couldn't eat this. I just I hated them. Um, so then I read in a book that all fruits and vegetables were essentially over 85% pure organic liquid fuel. And when you broke it down, it was only really this fuel that actually fed the cells of the human body after all fiber just passes through. And it's there for a reason, obviously, but I will come on to that in a minute. But, um, but essentially, it's the juice contained within the fiber that feeds you. Um, so I read this and I thought, well, is there a way of me getting vegetables in my body, which was, which is what I needed. I knew I needed to change. I knew I needed, I was in trouble. I was covered from head to foot in psoriasis, uh, skin uh, uh, condition, but covered from head to foot. I had 90% coverage. Uh, I was also severely asthmatic. Um, I was also to severe hay fever. I uh, had bad eczema. I was incredibly overweight. Um, and of course, I was heavily drinking, heavily smoking, everything else. A new change had to happen. Um, but equally, you know, addiction was one side, so I, I needed to find a formula that can get me out of that side of life. Um, but then equally, I knew I needed this nutrition, but I needed to change my brand of food so that I would choose to do it. So it wasn't on a diet. I would choose to go to that food over anything else. Now, I knew that was going to take a little while for that to happen. So in the meantime, can I just get some liquid stuff inside me? Because you can learn to like the taste of any anything after a period of time. A lot of people have sugar in their tea and coffee, and then they decide not to have sugar in their tea and coffee. It normally takes about five days to adjust. And most people listening now that made that change, um, they wouldn't pay you for a cup of tea or coffee with sugar in anymore because they've made that change. And they're not on a no sugar in tea diet. They don't look at other people having it and, and crave it or think that they're being deprived. So that means they're free. They're genuinely free from it. That's the difference. Um, and so I knew that would take a while for me to learn to like an avocado for argument's sake because they were utter filth so i thought well how, you know i needed to learn to like an avocado salad or something so i thought can i get this liquid stuff in me and you can even buy a juicer back then i mean you bought citrus presses i managed to find this old knocked out juicer in my mom's cupboard from Mulanex. started juicing and I, i've never looked back i mean I, I made a real apple juice first time and i just couldn't believe what, what i was making 
I've, I've never, I've never had real apple juice. I had apple juice from a carton that looked like urine. It's like see-through. I thought I, I've never seen this stuff, this cloudy stuff. What is this? And um, and then you know, adding spinach, various other bits and stuff, combinations. And then I went crazy. I just went down the greengrocers. I bought every fruit and vegetable that I didn't recognize. I didn't know the names of any of them. I just thought, what is this? Started juicing one of them, and it tastes like aniseed balls. I went, what is this? Fennel. Never heard of it. Brilliant. So started and then just started telling all my friends. And I said, you've got to get on board with this. My skin started to get better. My asthma vanished. I started to live on nothing but juice for a week at a time. I And I was on fire. I just went, this is insane. The world's got to know about this. So I set on a mission. I went, I'm going to juice the world. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and just juice the world. This is insane. Why don't we know about this? And that was it. And that's and and I've been as passionate for the last 25 years as uh, as, as I was then. So so tell me about that. So how how long did it take you to to get to the weight that you wanted to be? And then how long did you did your uh, skin well, take to clear up? Well, the skin was hard. Psoriasis is a real. It, it's a, psoriasis is very difficult. Eczema went very quickly. But psoriasis is an autoimmune disease, and 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 I was lucky because after nine months, my skin uh, improved and the psoriasis went. But that doesn't happen in every case, and that wasn't the case of just juicing will do that for you. You also need things like added zinc, selenium. Uh, if you can't, if you're not getting it in the fruits and veg because the soil has been bastardized so much, these are the two main minerals that unfortunately you're in short supply even in um, normal fruit and veg. Um, so you might need some extra supplementation. You're going to need um, essential fats. Uh, there's no question you're going to need a lesser thing, which is a fat emulsifier. So that's an external thing. So when it comes to psoriasis, there's a, there's a particular plan really that you need to follow. And even then when you follow it, not everybody has ultimate success on it. The human body is a tough nut to crack, uh, with psoriasis. Um, but I, I've seen a lot of people, uh, with complete clearance and other people with 80%. And back in the day when I was covered in it, if you give me 80% clearance, I would have bit your hand off. I really would. Um, so that's how long that took. Weight only took a, a couple of months, three months to, to, to drop. I mean, it doesn't take, I mean, weight's the first thing that will go. The body, the, a healthy body never wants to be overweight. And when I say overweight, I don't mean Instagram image. I mean, look, we're all meant to in winter have a little bit more honors uh, than we do in the summer. Uh, that's just, that's just, we're meant to have that. I mean, if you look at an orangutan, you'd never call them fat. But if you saw a human looking like an orangutan, you you would. And and it's this stupid man-made image stuff that we have of ourselves, which is ridiculous. And we just need to go, no, actually, am I a decent weight? What that means is can I run around? Do I get short of breath? Uh, do my clothes fit me? You know, do I feel pretty good? You know, that's your weight. You know, that that's it. With being a human at the same time. No, you know, otherwise, I mean you could get down to whatever your ideal weight is and stick there forever for every decade and uh, have essentially just eat nothing but raw food and everything else. But I, I, I think a balance is, is in order if you're human. Um, but yeah, my, my asthma went within a month. That shocked me the most, I think. I was severely asthmatic. So that really shocked me. And again, I'm not saying that anybody who follows any of my plans or anything else that it will cure your asthma. I don't want anybody to misread this at all. I'm just saying in my personal case, I was blessed by nature and nature was good to me. And, it, and with all the ginger and the lemon and the apple juice, which I know they've done studies on apple juice to show with asthma patients and um, that they're wheezing half within 30 days. Um, and it was, I forgot where that study was now, but anybody can just uh, Google it and have a look at it. Um, but they tried to say we're just eating the apples and it didn't have the same effect. So there's something about the juice that makes it more bioavailable somehow. And again, it's, it's one of those that unless people can say, well, where's the science? Where's this? Well, the science is the millions of people that I've seen over the years. The science is the fact that I don't have psoriasis anymore. The science is the fact that I haven't got 
you know, uh, asthma anymore, that I'm not on any medication whatsoever and I feel pretty good and I'm not alone. So, you know, what, do you need a piece of paper from science to, you know, don't let science, you know, wait till science catches up or, or, or just make the change now. So I was blessed. Within a year, um, everything had changed for me, everything. And I was, and I was just, I was just on fire. I just wanted to tell the world. I, yeah, started writing books, started doing this. Um, and bear in mind, I got no formal education. I'm hugely dyslexic. I mean, I, I don't read hardly anything because it just gives me a headache. Um, I can't really write as an author, right? If you read my books, uh, you'll know that. I'm, I'm just somebody who has passion um, for a subject and decided to get writing at 4 a.m. Because, of course, I had to still work as a painter and decorator. So, of course, you know, I call it the 4 a.m. books. You know, people say, oh, I haven't got the time to do whatever their goals are. Get up at 4 a.m. Between 4 and 7, no one's troubling. It depends on your profession. I don't want anybody saying, I'm on night shift and I'm a nurse. You know what I mean. Generally, I'm talking here. Um, the 4 a.m. book. Um, yeah, you want to write a screenplay. You want to do something else. Get up at 4 a.m. Get up at 4 a.m. Go to work at 7. Do it every day consistently. Do you have to sacrifice some things? Yeah, of course you do. But they, it depends on what you want. And that's it. If you've got a passion to do something, you always find a way around around doing it. I want to do so much more. I still got tons more that I want to do. But again, that, that takes that takes a bit of focus. Yeah, well, you mentioned about the science, and that's, that's something that I, I just finished writing a book myself, funny enough, and I touch on on this very thing. So we have science-based pharmaceuticals out there for your blood pressure, for your diabetes, for all this, and it's you know FDA approved and you know all these studies. And any any member of EMS or hospital, you know, the arena listening knows damn well that we have patients that die every day in their 40s 50s that have bags full of these medications so those are the ones that are proven that don't do a damn thing apart from change the metrics in the doctor's office so you know what i think is so you know underrepresented and no better time to illustrate this than now with covid where all they're talking about is hand sanitizers and masks and no focus or education at all in this captive audience for seven months now on addressing the underlying health issues that truly can make people resilient but i mean nutrition to me i've had so many people on the on the on the show now it's common sense. If you eat the way that we ate 100, 200 years ago, whether it's juicing, whether it's whole food, whatever it is, but it's organic and it's in its original form, you are going to reverse the disease processes from industrialized food. So what, what, just kind of talk about some of the, the success stories that you've had as far as disease reversal. And again, you're not guaranteeing this, but anecdotally that you've seen people that have come in with, with issues that, that you've seen reverse just through nutrition. Well, I would say virtually everything, and that always. And, I, and I'm a highly skeptical person, James. And so, whenever I listen to podcasts or anything else, I've got a skeptic head on. And no doubt, many people listening to this will also be the same. So, I don't want everybody to think, "Oh, hallelujah, it's the juice." Do you know what I mean? This kind of stuff. Um, it isn't, as you've alluded to, when it comes to nutrition. Now, I don't do anything. Clearly, obviously, I mean, some people think I do, but I don't do anything. I'm a catalyst. Clearly, all I do is just say, "Hey, John, here's nature. Nature, here's John. Hope you guys get on." That's it, right? That, that's, and all I do is try and encourage John to do nature in a way that motivates them or inspires them. That's it. No more, no less. And if you can't eat it, can you drink it? If you can eat it, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. We've got another solution. You can drink it. And you can drink it for a little while, on a, uh, uh, for a length of time, do something abnormal. People say it's abnormal to drink juice for seven days and nothing else. It is, but it's also abnormal to eat Pringles, isn't it? But the point is what we're trying to do is counter the abnormalities. That's what we're trying to do. So I've seen every change, but I think my movie, my first one, I'm making Super Juice Me 2 next year, but I think Super Juice Me 1 really illustrated a great deal in the sense that I took eight 
people with 22 different quote-unquote diseases between them, um, some of which was autoimmune diseases, lupus, for argument's sake. They were on a plethora of drugs, um, particularly the one from America and the one from Wales who came, and you had a suitcase, a genuine small suitcase full of nothing but medical drugs. Full. I mean, this is no exaggeration. This is exactly what you had. You had an entire suitcase full of medical drugs. I thought, you can't make this up. This is astonishing. Um, now, surely, if he's got a whole suitcase full of medical drugs, then he should look amazing, right? should look amazing. Because aren't these drugs meant to be doing you good? But, of course, he was the sickest person I'd ever come into contact with, bar, bar, bar none. I mean, this guy had just about everything, from uh, sleep apnea to lupus to gout to diabetes. To, I mean, every, I mean, you can do But all eight of them had various conditions. So we, we put them on juice, the same juice, put them on the same plan because the whole idea of the documentary was a one disease, one solution hypothesis. Now, 85% of all disease, even according to the World Health, Health Organization, is directly caused by what we put into our mouths, okay, 85%. Some of that would be what we think as well, but that's a different argument. But it can be directly attributed to what we put into our mouths, 85%. So the other 15% I wasn't talking about. When I talked about one disease, one solution hypothesis, I wasn't saying that there aren't people born with type 1 diabetes. I wasn't saying that in, in some cases there's quite a few diseases um, that require short-term and long-term medical intervention. I'm not against the pharmaceutical industry, nor am I against doctors, because I would be dead today without them with my asthma. My first asthma attack, I'd be dead. We wouldn't even be doing this podcast. So whatever, whatever was in the Ventolin inhaler, I owe my life to the pharmaceutical industry. Where, where I have an issue is a pill for every ill and an ill for every pill and blindly just giving out these pills so that you can have a customer for life. Now, I don't believe there's any doctor. See, doctors and pharmaceutical industry, yeah. I, think, I think, are two different things. And the pharmaceutical industry, uh, big pharma, the ones at the very top, I think they fully know what they're doing. And in fact, uh, they have to make profit uh, for their shareholders, their shareholder companies as well. Uh, they can produce um, 102 different documents on the, uh, uh, the safety and effectiveness of um, a drug. Um, but if 100 show that it failed, but two show that it's positive, uh, they can literally burn the other 100, which I find astonishing, but that's legal. And therefore, it's now been FDA approved. Um, so then we revert back to the people on Super Juice Me. Uh, they take a liver pill, has a side effect, because all drugs have a side effect. Doctors, I don't, believe, I don't think there's one doctor in the, in the industry that gets into their, uh, are doing what they're doing because they don't want to help people. They all do. Look, when they took out the wrong ovary from my mom, people said, people said oh, but you guys are mad. That's the medical industry for you. I go, no, it's not. They had a bad day at the office. I mean, we all have bad days at the office. They just don't have the luxury of being able to have a bad day at the office like a mechanic. How do I know that guy, that surgeon wasn't on a 12-hour shift? that his eyelids were barely left open. We don't know his story, and he didn't do it deliberately. Intent is everything. So, so no, was my mom mad? Yes, it was a bad mistake to make. Of course it was. When they misdiagnosed her for stage four lung cancer, and they said she had COPD, and they gave her an asthma pump for four years before it was too late, and then they diagnosed her, but then it was too late. It's easy to get angry about this, but actually we have to look subjectively to understand that there's no human in the medical profession, doctors in particular, that deliberately misdiagnosed her in a billion years. And there's nobody that deliberately gave her an asthma pump and, and, and ignored stage four lung cancer because they didn't do that at all. So I'm not anti-doctor, nor am I anti-pharmaceuticals, uh, but I am anti the, 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 this, this entire drive towards treating the symptom of disease and not getting to the cause 
of the disease. So and to get a long story short, at the end of Super Juice Me, you have to watch it anyway. I mean, it's free to watch. It's on YouTube. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, it was even, I mean, Richard Branson likes it so much that it was on all Virgin Airlines when it first came out. I mean, this movie has now been seen by 6 million people. And I think it does more than anything else. So I always encourage people to say, oh, what should people do? Should they buy your book? No, no, don't buy a book. Don't download an app. Don't spend any money. Go and watch a free documentary before you do anything else, because then you can make up your mind on whether you actually think this is subjective, whether you think you'll buy into it or not buy into it, whatever the case is. But it's hard not to, because when you see at the end, all eight people with all these different diseases, and then they seemingly, you know, 90% of them vanish in, in a month, in 28 days. You have to start asking yourself the question, shall we at least look at this instead of blindly carrying on as we are? I always joke at my retreats as well that if next to a juice that we give you in the morning, if there was a list of side effects next to it, you'd never take it. You'd never, you'd never have it. And if you're in the alternative medicine field, which is a terrible expression in of itself, it's called nature, right? So I, should, I think pharmaceuticals should be deemed as alternative. Like when nature doesn't work, then you must have um, uh, medicine of, of, of some kind. Um, but I think it's astonishing that when somebody's going to go on a juice diet of any kind, people say, have you contacted your doctor first? I've heard this so many times. <laughs> and yet if you go to Vegas, no one says anything. So it's, it's one of those strange anomalies where if somebody sees you and they say juicing is dangerous. I've been doing this personally for over 25 years, quarter of a century. Not one single human on earth has ever died of juicing. Not one. Not one. And also you've got, in the alternative field, you have such a short space of time to make a difference. Because the medical profession go, right, take that pill. If it hasn't worked, oh, you had side effects. Oh, it actually killed you, the side effect. Oh, sorry, that's just collateral damage. And they'll carry on. But I tell you, but with juicing or something like this, you've got like seven days. Unless they feel phenomenal in seven days, they wouldn't even do it again. I mean, you've got such a short amount of time. Luckily, nature only wants to heal. So it does it. And, and, and I'm expanding the documentary next year. I'm expanding the experiment, the big juice experiment. I'm doing it with 90 people with every kind of lifestyle condition on earth, including poor eyesight, everything, just to see even for myself, just to put it to bed. I'll be paying for the whole thing myself and sticking it out for free. We're giving it to Netflix for free. We're giving it to Amazon Prime for free. It's just going to be for free for everybody. And it's just because it's one of those vocations that I just have to do to end it, to go, right, I can't do any more than this. This is now 90 people. Surely you can't dispute this now. And I don't know if everybody's going to get better or only 50%, but at least, we, at least we'll have a decent bit of uh, documentary footage to, to actually, and we'll have a doctor there and all kinds of, a few doctors. Anyway, but that's next year. But yeah, so I think there isn't one single lifestyle. Well, it sounds obvious, isn't it? I mean, why am I even saying this? Where's logic? <laughs> is, is, you know, say, is there a lifestyle condition? Is there any lifestyle condition that cannot be reversed through changing your lifestyle. Well, I mean, just the sentence itself, I think. <laughs> it's called a lifestyle condition. So what, so, so what do you think? And again, brings us on to this, this, this COVID stuff. And it's a point that I've made for some time now. The, my original opinion was we shouldn't lock down. I know some people go mad about that, but that's fine. So, especially at the beginning, uh, when I voiced it right at the beginning, and I've never wavered at all. I think lockdown uh, was a huge mistake. I think this continuing doubling down of, of the same stupidity um, it is also insane on every level. Um, however, I would have protected the vulnerable clearly and had everybody carry on. I mean, that would have been and, and got herd immunity. This is the only way forward. It should have been done. There would have been no second wave. Um, everything would have been, I mean, I don't understand it. But equally, people went mad because when Boris Johnson 
alluded to on this morning TV um, that he was heading towards the Swedish model of herd immunity to some extent. He was the most relaxed in Europe up until that point. Spain was already going mad. Italy was going mad. And it looked like the UK had a sensible head on this. And then he did a 360 U-turn, literally overnight, because when he mentioned herd immunity, then immediately what happened is that he got attacked, obviously, saying, what is this? You, you don't mind if some people die? Well, it's an interesting concept, this, because if you look at all medical drugs, treatment. So lockdown was a treatment for COVID. Let's bear that in mind. That's like having a drug. It was a, they claimed it was a treatment for this particular virus of some kind that it can curb it, and what we do makes a difference, and all the uh, and all the rest of it. Um, so one of the side effects, even if you if you protected the vulnerable, one of, one of these side effects might be collateral damage. Like all drugs, all drugs have collateral damage, but they didn't allow that same principle to be applied when it came to COVID to keep the economy going and everything else. And people said, "Oh, you care about more about money than people's lives." It was, and these are insane people because this is about lives versus lives. This isn't about money versus lives. Lives versus lives. Two weeks ago, I was uh, going to my retreat in Portugal. I got picked up at the airport. I talked to my driver and he said his friend who also has a transfer company um, is going through hell right now because, of course, everybody with a business going through hell can't support his family anymore. He's really depressed. I then got the transfer on the way back. Uh, he was really upset. I said, are you all right? And he said, no, I'm not all right. Why is that? Because he bought a gun yesterday and blew his brains out. And the point is that's not on CNN. That's not going to be on Sky News. Um, and he's just one of thousands of people. Suicides are up. Child abuse is up. Domestic violence is up. Drug abuse is up. Alcohol abuse is up. Um, Misdiagnose. Uh, in fact, people that were too scared to go into hospital uh, for cancer. Now they're realizing actually it's too late. Now they're on stage four and there's nothing that can be done. These aren't one or two, Jane. So this is what makes me mad when people go mad at me because the average age in the UK of people dying of, not necessarily with, uh, sorry, dying with, not necessarily of, COVID is 82. The average age of people dying of everything in the UK, just generally, year on year, is 81.7. So, so it's less for everything. So it's, it's, it's more for, it just seems you've got a higher age for COVID. There's a lot more to it than that, and, it, and it's very emotive. I understand for a lot of people. They go, well, you you know, my friend had it. My my friend died, and he wasn't 82. And, it's, and no, I get that. You can say that about anything. My mom died of stage four lung cancer. You can say, look, there's a million things you can say about this. But one thing is for sure, that well, I'm in Spain right now, and, you know, they bought me mandatory mask wearing 12 weeks ago, 14 weeks ago. And the numbers are now through the roof. At the time of recording this, the numbers are through the roof. And that's, I want to say numbers, that's cases. Not deaths, cases. Too, I, don't, I don't know why all of a sudden they stop mentioning the death rate and only mention the cases rate. I mean, it just seems like, well, you managed to do a 360 on that as well. And people are just not noticing what's going on. And there are people having to, you have to wear a mask outside. So the numbers have gone up. It's been mandatory mask wearing. So clearly no one's saying, well, they're not working then, are they? No one's saying it. No one's, no one's, if the numbers had gone down, they would have said something. And what, what furiates me is they've managed to hoodwink so many people to say, right, if the numbers go down, that's because of the measures we put in. And if the numbers go up, well, that's because you've been, I'm afraid you've been reckless and you've had a party. And now they've got literally everybody fighting against each other and going, you shouldn't have had a party, you shouldn't have done that. In fact, you've got, you've got regional, almost like virus virus racism almost like coming in like people in Cornwall are going keep those Londoners out they're going to infect us. I mean it's just madness what has gone on um and at the moment if I go to the UK at the time of doing this I have to self-isolate for 14 days um even if I flew from Portugal the numbers in Portugal are way lower than the UK but yeah I'd have to self-isolate the minute I get into the UK that has much higher numbers none of it's logical none of it makes any sense 
So I don't know where this is going. So, but again, we are talking about the first point of call for most people is, is that they will just believe whoever's in a white coat and whoever's in government. Uh, even though there's so many scientists that are vehemently against lockdown and they conveniently just ignoring Sweden, obviously just ignore that um, as if that hasn't happened and don't mention it. But anyway, that's my, I don't want to get political on this podcast, but, it, but it's just all of a sudden you just go, well, look, we, it, 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 I'm afraid, I believe, and I always have believed that lockdown essentially protect the vulnerable, should have always protected the vulnerable. It should have been the first point of call. So if you're going to say to anybody, if you're 75, you've got underlying health conditions, don't go out. You don't meet anybody. You only go on Skype and Zoom. That's fair enough. We'll deliver food to you. We'll look after you. We put all, as many finances as you like. No one's going to go uh, unhelped. But everybody else, crack on. Just crack on. Yeah. Get herd immunity. And you have more resources then for the, the vulnerable. And that's the thing. I, 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 we were talking before we started recording. In the US alone, in the last seven months, looking at you know the last few years' statistics, 200,000 people would have died of obesity-related deaths and 300,000 people would have died of smoking-related deaths. So that's half a million people. So that's my thing is if we're so worried about health, which we damn well should be, then why is that element not being addressed? But it's not. It's just the, the virus, the virus, the virus. We've had a captive audience for seven months and no mention of wellness whatsoever. No, and it and it seems in, it seems insanity. And you just think, I mean, I made a joke. I mean, I've got a dark sense of humor. So I'd be listening to this go, oh, it's outrageous you're saying that. But I mean, I, I think it's quite funny. But you know, the government could have implemented the best COVID mask on earth. It's the one that's got a padlock on it. And it stops people from eating. And it just, and you can only eat this on a time frame. You're going to eat for two hours a day. That's a joke, clearly, anybody listening. But like you said, to combat obesity would be the number one thing. But what I think this has, there's always good that can come out of anything, right? So there's always good come out of anything. And I honestly believe that at the end of all of this, if there is indeed an end, that what will come out is that we're doing a campaign next year uh, entitled Ask Not What You Can Do For The National Health Service. Uh, sorry, Ask Not What The National Health Service Can Do For You, But What Can You Do For The National Health Service? And, and what this has woken people up to is that it was all very well and good stepping outside your doors. They did in the UK every Thursday night to give a round of applause to all of the key workers. And of course, nothing wrong with that. It was a great, noble thing to do. They, I think everybody should be doing that every week anyway, because most people have no idea what all of the key workers from firemen all the way through to policemen to nurses to doctors, what they go through every week. I mean, it was just highlighted during COVID, right? So we should all be doing that anyway. Um, but actually, if you really want to help, then actually, shouldn't we be taking care, care of ourselves a little bit more? Because if you really want, if you're worried about the doctors, nurses and overrunning of the health service, then don't you want to not be a part of it then? Or don't you want to do whatever you can do personally? If you really care, requires effort on your part rather than just going outside clapping and filming yourself clapping, which I never understood that by the way. So a lot of people <laughs> themselves clapping because really, you, 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 okay, we've noticed you're a good person. Well done, right? Never really understood that. But anyway, um, Instead of doing that, why don't you just get a juice in front of you? Why don't you do, you know, why don't you do something, you know, or just eat healthy, do more exercise. And it doesn't guarantee you that you'll get, listen, a disease is indiscriminate in many cases. But we do know that nutrition plays a major, major role in the majority of lifestyle diseases. That's a fact. That's undisputed. Metabolic disease in particular. And so, therefore, I'm afraid personal responsibility, as harsh as it is, has to come in. So if you're willing, without question, to put on a mask and start shouting at other people without a mask, or you, you, you. I mean, it was, I mean, in Spain it was mad. We had to wear gloves. For, I mean, during during the whole peak of in March and April, masks weren't used at all. There was no quarantine from any country in the UK. I mean, it, it, 
And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, you must wear a mask. But hang on, then the, the whole freaking nightmare of it, you didn't have to wear a mask. You went around supermarkets, everybody was next to each other. There was this, that, and the other. Oh, but all of, what, 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 they didn't know, they didn't think masks were then? What, 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 what you say? Well, all of a sudden they do? I, think, I just don't, I, 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 but no one, oh, God, no one's questioning this. <laughs> you can probably hear my frustration. Yeah. With, but anyway, like, I don't want to get to it, but yeah, you're right. Health, listen, ask, ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do today just to, even if it's a juice today, whatever, I need to build my immune system, right? You've got one anyway. We all have immune system, but you don't want it weak, right? You want it to be as strong as it possibly can, so at least you're semi-prepared. That's not saying COVID won't get you. There are some people that are healthy as hell. Equally, though, when everybody argues that point to me, I said there was a 26-year-old runner who ran the London Marathon who just collapsed and died. But that doesn't mean they all do. It's a fluke. Yeah. You're going to get flukes in everything. And we, and we see them in, in our profession. We see the anomalies, you know what I mean? And, and they exist, but that, you don't use that as your standard. No, 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 exactly. So, I mean, that's how it is. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, but I want to make sure we get, you know, all the, the content out there before we run out of time. So I, I watched Super Juice Me. We had the app. I did a, a three day kind of, um, reset with my wife a little while ago and, you know, was, was amazing. It reset my alcohol, reset my caffeine. It was, it was phenomenal. So I personally have done, you know, the, the one of the shorter fasts. Um, and, you know, I thought it was incredible. So for people listening, where can they find, the film and then where can they find more information on the books and the app and, and the retreats? I, know, I would always say just, just find the movie first. Go onto YouTube, uh, type in uh, Juice Tube, which is my YouTube channel. It's sponsor free and advert free. I don't make any money from my YouTube channel. Um, Amazon Prime, we've got the film. Um, again, I give it to them uh, free of charge. Watch the film. My actual website is juicemaster.com. But again, you know, it's one of those. Go and watch the movie first, I would say. right? Go and see the film first. See if it's for you. Take it on board. Um, it's a bit like the film Game Ch- The Game Changes. You know, people just say, oh, that's all that's doing is trying to make people vegan. I said, no, you've got to look at the bigger picture. If a film simply encourages you to eat more plants, then it's a great film. I don't care about anything else, right? And that's how it works. And I think anything that encourages you to either drink more plants or eat more plants, then it's fine. And it, it, the only reason why I drink them is because I know I'll never get the sheer volume of different colored fruits and vegetables and the variation into my body every day unless I juice them. Now, it doesn't mean you wouldn't get wonderful but clearly incredible benefits. If you just love eating vegetables, then fine. You do. Juicing is a catalyst. It's not a, it's a necessity. It's a catalyst. But one thing I would say is that if you have big changes to make, I would say do seven days. on. Even if you're skeptical, just do seven days on a well-thought-through juice plan. Do the first seven days of Super Juice Me, for example. Then on day eight, then tell me you're not sold for life because it's almost like you've been in the film Limitless with Bradley Cooper. It's like somebody's plunged you in and you come out the other side and all you crave is salad and you don't know why and you wonder why your cravings are gone and, all, and like you said, you're reset and all of a sudden you feel good. You've lost at least seven pounds if you're a woman, 10 pounds if you're a man. That's if you had weight to lose. So if, you, if weight loss is a thing for you in a very short space of time, so you have momentum um, and that can take you a long way. There was a woman at the retreat last week, um, actually put the post out, uh, next week, uh, but it's um, she lost fifty kilos. That's what's one hundred and twenty pounds. Wow! Uh, from one retreat two years ago that acted as a catalyst. She did seven days, and then it just set her on this journey. She's she, she's she's a different human, and she has no excess skin either. None. She's now got like what deems to be a six pack. Wow! I that's mean, it's, incredible. It's, it really is incredible. And those you know on Instagram at J- I, I run my own Instagram. So if you want to contact me personally, it's just at Jason Vale on Instagram. 
Um, and that's that's where you, you'll find me most of the time. But if you scroll through the post, you'll see that one. You will see that one down, and, you, and it, it's she's unrecognisable, to say the least. But, that, but there's so many examples of that. You know, it's crazy. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm actually going to be in Portugal in December. I have to snake my way through Europe, whatever, <laughs> whatever route I have to take. I'm still waiting for the craziness to die down. But um, one day I'm hoping to come visit and, and see the retreat because, I mean, again, for people that want a hard reset, that seems like another incredible option to That's combine. Well, if you are in Portugal uh, in December, I think we're open till the 12th and then we're gone. So if you're there at all before and you're in central Portugal, I'll be there for the final week. Then, yeah, then come on, come on over for sure. And, uh, yeah, just uh, let's, let's have a juice together. Uh, we're just building a, a new retreat in the Algarve in Portugal. Actually, that's a huge one, though. That's, uh, that's going to be Europe's healthiest playground, we're calling it. But that'll be my last retreat that I ever built. Um, <laughs> Whereabouts in the Algarve? Because that's, that's where my family live. It's uh, near Altura. It's near Altura, which is near the Spanish border. Okay, beautiful. So I'll probably come do that one because I think I'm, I don't think I'm gonna be there long uh, early enough for for this year. But yeah, I'm in Algarve you know, every single year, pretty much. Oh, wow! Then you come and see Juicy Escape is what it's called. So yeah, come do that. Nice one, Jack. Really, re- thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate this very candid uh, conversation and and the freedom to do so. Hope it, whoever is listening obviously has listened with an open mind. Um, and, and understood that, you know, we're not talking, well, I'm not talking about uh, COVID um, in a flippant way. And I just believe there's a, a big distinction when it comes to COVID between being COVID conscious, which I think, was, which we have to be, and COVID crazy. And there's a line down the middle. And I think we, to be COVID conscious is, is, is to understand and to look around the numbers genuinely and what's actually happening. And COVID crazy is just if you just buy the media entirely and because of course they're run by fear so it, it's in their interest their massive interest to make you angry and fearful because then you'll you'll, you'll watch them more and if they lock down so someone like Piers Morgan saying lockdown lockdown in the UK well of course his job doesn't stop I mean he's got a special press pass you just go in and out of work his life hardly ever changes at all and these viewing figures go through the roof as he gets mad so you've got to always understand somebody's personal intention on this as well anyway I'll leave that there James <laughs> 